welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and as always, we are thrilled that you've taken some time uh, from this crazy, crazy world to be with us today, talk about bow hunting and archery and uh, just some things that hopefully we can all use to uh, escape and enjoy life a little bit and appreciate our blessings. You know, today as we head into the heart of summer, uh, it is absolute prime time to be getting out on the range every chance you can get and practicing, shooting, stretching yourself, challenging yourself to be the very best you can be come hunting season, which now isn't that far out there on the horizon. And to that end, I've invited uh, a longtime friend of Peterson's bow hunting and, and no stranger to the archery world to join us today to talk about summertime practice, long range shooting. And that is Mr. Cabe Johnson. Cabe is one of the co-owners of Spot Hog, uh, which is one of the best uh, archery accessory manufacturers out there uh, anywhere in the world, Cabe. So how do you like that? Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Thanks it's a lot. To be here with you. Yes, yes. Thank you so much, Cabe. Um, for those who read Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine regularly, and if you don't, shame on you. Uh, you'll recognize Cabe's name as he contributes uh, a handful of columns every year that we call Spot On, and he touches on various shooting topics. And you know, Cabe, I really appreciate you know the contributions that you've made over the years in your most recent column really was the genesis of today's discussion because you had written a column for our September issue, which we're working on right now, talking about how you guys really like to stretch out your distances when you practice. So you didn't say in there exactly how far you like to stretch out, but I'm thinking that it was pretty dang far because you were talking about like tricks to see how far you could shoot before your arrows started to like hit your sight housing. So I'm thinking these guys had to be shooting at least a hundred yards, if not a bunch farther. So that's my first question, man. How far are you shooting out there, buddy? Man, we, it, it, it varies a little bit for everybody, man. We shoot pretty much as far as we can. I mean, the limiting factor usually is our housing. Um, that's given that we can keep our arrows all on the bale. I mean, we don't like to be looking for our arrows out in the grass too much. Um, but over the years, you know, I mean, it's, it's, we, we love shooting. So um, for us, probably some of the funnest things to see how far you can shoot and see, just see how good you can be. And so over the years, we've stretched it out. We've gotten better and better and better and stretched it out. And so that now, our limitations isn't by our shooting ability. Our limitations is by our equipment ability. Um, and there, you know, there's a lot of people that love getting out there and practicing at those long distances, but we actually, some of, I mean, I practice every year with fixed blade broadheads out to over, out to about a hundred yards. Um, and a lot of that is not because I ever plan on taking a shot at that distance, but I just want to see what I'm capable of and see what my, you know, and so that for me, that's, that's big. 
Um, some of us um, who don't put in quite as much uh, into it as I do um, will stretch out as bad busy as far as they can where they can keep them all on the target. You know, we don't – once you start miss, <laughs> missing the target, you definitely lose some enthusiasm for shooting that distance. Well, it's no fun looking for arrows. It's a lot more fun shooting than looking, you know. But uh, I am curious, you know, obviously the faster your bow is, the more distance you can get out of it before you, you know, can't bring your sight pin down any lower without causing clearance issues. But what's the what's the farthest, just out of curiosity, what's the farthest you've ever been able to set up one of your bows uh, for sort of max range um, where you could, where you I, could I, accurately I, shoot, you know, regularly. Right. Um, I start running out of room around 110. Um, I don't have, I'm, I'm like five, nine, five, ten, So I don't have a super long draw length. And um, so I'm a little bit physically, um, limited i guess because i shoot a little hey, what are you drawing, what, so what are you get... what are you talking about i'm five nine i'm not physically limited my friend of course i have a 29 well, i have a 29 inch draw length too though which sometimes people are surprised but uh now i don't know what you your got draw a lot length longer... is yeah well you got a lot longer draw length than i got mine's about 27 um, oh well but, i take it back uh, then you are limited you're limited i am limited <laughs> so when you start when you're at that, when you're at that, you know, a shorter draw length like I am, I, I do, I do cap out. I feel like my capabilities are are, are quite a bit further, and I've played around. I, um, we used to have a site back in the day called a hogger knot, where you didn't have a limitation on how far I could shoot because it used prisms to be able to take and shoot long distance, and so we were able to shoot basically as far as we wanted to, and that was that was a lot of fun because we got out there to you know 140, 150, and we're able to aim and shoot accurately. Um, we don't make that product anymore, so don't ask for it. <laughs> but um, you should the, bring uh, it back. So, yeah, I mean, you should bring it back well, in a, lim- we, a limited run, and like you know, just say, fun. "Hey, there's going to be a hundred of these things, and only a hundred, so it goes to the highest yeah. bidder." Yeah, we for uh, sure. we get a request every day for that. So you know, and who knows? Who knows what could be on the horizon? But um, yeah, when you got a shorter draw length. Um, you're going to be, uh, you're going to run out of, you're, you're going to hit your limitations a little quicker than if you have a longer draw length, like you have a 29 inch draw length. So you're going to have plenty of speed and you'll, you'll probably be able to shoot, you know, further than I can. Um, you know, whether you can hit, you know, whether, you know, whether you are, you know, a person that's physically capable is a whole nother question, but you know, for the most part, being able to stretch out and shoot those long distances. I mean, me, my whole family, all my friends, it's always, uh, you know, that, that's when it gets the most fun is, oh, I can shoot a 60, you know, I can shoot a 70, you know, and, um, it's kind of funny every year in hunting camp, we, we have a little, we have a little tro- hunting camp trophy and we actually have a little competition every year to, to see who can shoot the furthest and shoot accurately and that type of thing. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So I think, I think a lot of archers really like to test their abilities. Um, and so a lot of kind of what we promote is just, you know, trying to give people the tips and tricks and techniques so that they can get the most out of their equipment or the most out of their, um, uh, you know, abilities. So that's kind of what our, our spirit of what we do is all about is we want to help people shoot better. So they enjoy the sport and stay in it longer and hopefully enjoy it as much as we do. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, um, Randy Ulmer 
who's uh, obviously uh, one of the best of the very best and, and a contributor to the magazine. I know that Randy and some of his buddies, they do a hundred yard broadhead competition every year. And yeah. in the past we've published, uh, Randy wrote about that in a column one time and he sent me some pictures that we published in the magazine of his hundred yard broadhead groups. And if you ever want to feel uh, inferior as an archer, all you have to do is look at Randy Ulmer's hundred yard broadhead group pictures. <laughs> For sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, he shoots hundred yard broadhead groups like, you know, the average guy at the local pro shop shoots 20 yard field points. You know, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. But, you know, that's kind of the point of this discussion, which is, um, you know, now is the time to be doing it. And I will say this now, I I like to shoot fairly long distances too. Now, I, I do most of my shooting here during the summer in my yard at like 50 and 60 yards. And the only reason I'm for that is I have to move my targets. I can go farther. I can actually, I can shoot a hundred yards here at the house, but I have to just move my stuff from where I normally keep it. So unless I'm really wanting to go nuts and I'm just lazy, I can shoot 60 yards with, without having to change anything. But if you shoot most of the time at 50 and 60, boy, those 30 and 40 yard shots feel easy. And Obviously, whatever you're doing wrong, the further you get from the target, the more it magnifies that. And, you know, I was just out shooting last night and I was thinking about just triggering my release aid. And I'm I'm a bit of an odd duck because I shoot with a tension activated release. So I just have to pull through the shot until it breaks. And I was just thinking about last night. I was just working on how I how I hold that release with my fingers and how I'm, you know, applying pressure with my back and my fingers. And man, there are just little nuances to that when you're at 60 that you can really see how that affects the arrow flight much more so than you can at 30. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's one of the reasons for the long distance practicing beyond just the fun of seeing what you're capable of is it does amplify your mistakes. I'll tell you what, at, you know, 20, 30 yards, if you miss by an inch, you're like, ah, oh, it's good enough. You know, that, that'll kill a deer. That'll kill, a, you know, a pig or whatever. But, you, and so you don't really work on refining that skill. But when you're back at 60, 70, 100 yards, and all of a sudden that inch turns into two feet, you're going to go, well, why the heck is that arrow way out there? And it, it causes you to be a little introspective on, you know, what, what am I doing wrong? which at 30 or 20, you might, you might be a center going, oh, it's, you know, you, you, it's, it's within the acceptable air, you know. Um, but at like 100 and you miss by two feet, you're like, what did I do on that one? I just hit, you know, I hit, I just missed the dot on the last shot. And this one I missed by two feet. What I do, but then you start examining your form. You don't want to miss again like that. And what happens is before you know it, you start really dissecting your form, just like you were talking about. Then all of a sudden, as you move back in, you start shooting tighter groups than you've ever shot before because you basically want th that long distance shooting caused you, forced you to work on your form and work on your abilities and work on the, your aiming, all the, all the aspects it takes to create a good shot. It, it forces you. And so 
um, it kind of does it almost subconsciously. And what, so by practicing it, just keep pushing your limit. Then, like I said, I mean, we all want that 20 or 30 yard shot, but I'll tell you what, I get really excited when I get, you know, next to, you know, an animal that close. And so, you know, all of a sudden what my, my group size that would normally under calm conditions grows a little bit because I'm excited. And so the smaller groups you can shoot, tighter groups you can shoot, the more effective you're going to be in the field. So that's one of the main reasons that we, we push ourselves at those long distances. Yeah. I mean, it just forces, it forces you to focus on that consistency, which, you know, you made a very good point because you talk about how, you know, you might be shooting at say 80 yards and you shoot one arrow and like you're two inches off the bullseye and then you shoot the next arrow and you're two feet off of the bullseye and that's where you know that's exactly what I was looking at last night now I wasn't two feet off but but I was thinking about you know how come some of these arrows are drifting and as I started to just work into a rhythm it was all about like slowing down in those moments before release and thinking about doing the exact same thing with that release aid and feeling the feel of it and then repeating it and all of a sudden man I was stacking arrows in there at 60 yards and it's like you have to refine that so that in you know always come back to having a bow hunter's mentality and the late great Jim Doherty uh, for many many years our back page columnist and an archery hall of famer Jim always used to say I'm only concerned with one arrow groups and uh, that's ultimately what it boils down to you know it's like you want to get all of that stuff worked out over the course of the summer so that when fall comes you're only concerned with one arrow groups because the one arrow is the only one that's going to matter true so you had some good tips in this column for people who maybe you're thinking yeah you know i really ought to be practicing uh, maybe at a little bit longer range than I normally do, but you know, what's the best way to go about getting my site set up for that? And and you had some interesting tips for how you guys uh, go about maximizing the distance that you can get out of your particular setup. So uh, why don't you just sort of walk us through some of those things and and you know tell me how I can shoot as far as I possibly can given my you know my draw I can't change my draw length maybe I can up my draw weight a little bit but like you said we all have everyone's going to have a certain limitation you know some are going to be farther than others but given that how can we get the most out of our setup sure um I'll go I'll go through with uh what I can remember of in the article and if I miss one please please uh, uh remind me uh what so ultimately people have different physical limitations. Maybe somebody can't pull as much pounds and so they can't get the speed. Maybe somebody's got a shorter draw line, can't get the speed. Um, those are all things that, you know, some of us encounter. And so the article, what, what we want to do is here's some ways to get a little further distance. Cause your limiting factor, unlike with a rifle, your limiting factor is as you shoot the longer distances, you have to move your, your sight pin guard down. And then the further you move it down, pretty soon it's going to get to the point where it's almost touching your arrow and your veins will start to actually hit 
your veins or arrow could actually start to hit your housing. And so we have, it's not like a gun where you, your, your, you know, your uh, distance you can shoot fairly, fairly unlimited. Um, we have some limitations as archers. And so some of the tricks that we've learned that, that can be helpful is some of the tricks we've learned is one of the things is, is if you move your peep sight up your string just a little bit, create a bigger distance between your knocking point and your peep sight, you can gain a little more yardage before your, your housing hits your arrow. Now, you won't gain a lot that way unless you move it extreme, but one of the things that we have to be careful of is you don't want to lose a, get too far and have a real sloppy anchor point. Um, I, I guess I need to I state this right now, the disclaimer. The disclaimer is don't do anything that's going to hurt your brute or hurt your accuracy. Um, it's not worth it. You know, so you can shoot um, 110 yards instead of 95 yards. That it's not worth none of doing any of the stuff that's going to hurt that don't hurt your accuracy at, at 40, 50, 30 yards. Don't do it. You know, so always keep that in the back in mind that you're not going to sacrifice accuracy to so you can gain yardage at a long distance that you'll probably never shoot more than show off to your buddies. So, so the next thing that you can do that you can gain a little bit of uh, yardage on a, is to slide your uh, sight in. Like, you know, you, a lot of people have seen dovetail sights. If you slide the, the, your sight in so that your, your sight extension is closer to the riser, um, you can also gain a little more yardage before you start having interference with your arrow. Um, there's yeah, also and, and some, that, some, that would that would also be true. Some sites, even if it doesn't have a dovetail, you know, I have had num- numerous sites over the years where they maybe have three sets of mounting holes, so you can you can mount the site uh, a little bit closer to the front of the riser, depending on which set of holes you use. Hundred percent. Um, there's 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 some different options. Most sites have some options. Um, it will have, it will cause you have to resign your pins. Cause what you're doing is you're shrinking up, you're shrinking up your, uh, your pins will get a little closer together as you move it in towards the riser. Um, another way to speed up your bow is to shoot. I mean, it's to speed up, speed up as you can shoot lighter arrows. Um, that's another way that, um, you can take and shoot. You'll shoot a little faster. I have a flatter trajectory and you'll be able to shoot a little further. This is one of the ones that I got to warn you again. If you go lighter arrows, sometimes lighter arrows get a little more finicky and it get, becomes a little harder to take and control those. So you got to be careful about getting too light with your arrows. And in a hunting situation, you also possibly could lose some penetration. However, with today's bows and, and with the technology and the foot pounds they can do, I don't have a huge problem with penetration, even at my shorter draw length. So that's not, you know, but. I don't want to take and go to too alive an arrow that it gets squirrely on me either. So that's something that keep yeah. in mind if you want to use that route. I, I feel like that's one for me where, you know, we talked earlier, I've got a, a longer draw length than you do, but I don't shoot an insane amount of weight. All my bows, um, 60 to 65 pounds is all I shoot. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I do like generally a heavier arrow, you know, most of my hunting is yeah. whitetail, whitetail hunting. I don't do, I do some Western uh-huh. hunting. You know, I, I killed a nice elk in Montana last year. I'm going out there again, killed an antelope last year, but most of my hunting is whitetail. And I, most of the time I'm around 420 grains with my hunting arrows. Uh-huh. And I really see that my trajectory 
you know, once you get past 40 yards, you know, 40 to 50, 50 to 60 beyond those pin gaps or those, you know, gaps in between the, the yardage ticks on your adjustable pin that it really starts to open up, you know, beyond 40 yards. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure if I cut that arrow weight down to, you know, 300 and 30 grains or something like that it would it would tighten it up a good bit but i don't really have a great practical use for arrows that light you know unless i was doing a, a pure target setup mm -hmm. well one of the things I, I again i want to warn people that lighter arrows are going to be more finicky um and they're le way less forgiving and so you're dealing with, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, I got a little flatter trajectory. My pins are a little closer. This is cool. But man, if you make a little bit of a form mistake, man, you get punished. So like with a heavier arrow, if I, let's say I pull my release just slightly away from my face on the release, on, on the shot, um, I might normally miss with a heavier arrow by an inch. And with a lighter arrow, I might miss by five inches, which could mean the difference between a wounded animal or meat in the freezer. And so... Um, I want to caution people to be very careful about getting too light with their arrows because, you know, again, when I'm shoot, taking my shot, I'm a little excited. I don't always get the most perfect shot when I'm uh, shooting at an animal. So I need all the forgiveness I can get. So, yeah, you gain speed, but there is also uh, a payoff there. And so do, do be careful when you start playing around with that. And so I just wanted to warn people about that. Uh, well, I, makes I've chosen not. Go ahead. That makes me think of another one of my favorite sayings in archery, which is, I always say, speed thrills, accuracy kills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure, I, you know. We have, we have, oh, 100%, we have uh, some friends that are all, we're, you know, always bragging about how fast they're bow shooting, and my brother always gives them a hard time, says, yeah, it doesn't matter how fast you miss your target. You know, and yeah, so that's kind of just come back to those guys that are always pushing the speed limits. You know, it's like, well, you know, the accuracy at the end of the day is 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 it king and trumps all. You know, that's that's what we're all looking for. And there's tricks and tips that can give you, you know, a little bit of both. But yeah, you, you do have to be careful that you're not robbing Peter to pay Paul, like like I was saying. So another um, a, another uh, another thing you had mentioned in the article is. Um, you know, sometimes with with certain sites, you can go to a smaller pin guard. So, in other words, if you decrease the diameter of your pin guard, uh, that's not going to stick down as far as you lower the site. And, and so there you're going to pick up a little more clearance. It's going to allow you to get a little bit more range out of that site. Yeah, absolutely. That is definitely that's a that's a real painless trick that doesn't require really any um, adjustments that's going to hurt you. Um, yeah, smaller pin guard, you will a lot of times want to shrink your piece down a little bit so you still can control your centering. But yeah, if you go to a little smaller pin guard, a lot of companies offer multi-size pin guards, um, depending on what, how many pins you got and that type of thing. The smaller pin guard will give you uh, added clearance that it really costs you nothing besides, you know, just getting the right, right pin guard for you. Yeah, and actually um, so that, that's, that's, that's something worth mentioning, you know, just comes to my mind now. You guys at SpotHog have a fairly innovative option that you came out with uh, in the last couple of years here, the MRT pin guards where you actually allow three different options to just screw on and even just switching to those will reduce the overall diameter a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we wanted to have people to have the options to um, be able to basically have different fields, fields of view because 
one of the things is, and we didn't totally touch on it, but when you start shooting long distance, um, your centering in your peep sight becomes super, super critical. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, picture, picture this, you know, you, you have iron sights on a gun. What happens if you don't lie, align the front sight and the rear sight? You miss, right? Um, well, archery is the same way with aligning your peep sight on your housing. And if you don't take and have that alignment the same, um, it may look like you're aiming at the at your target or at your spot, but you're not going to hit there. Um, that centering is probably one of the well. I'm going to say for me, and I've you know I've shot I shot professional archery for ten years. Uh, that's probably one of the most critical aiming tips I can give is to watch that centering between your peep sight and your housing, and that peep sight. And the size that you have, the the hole in the peep sight to match your housing is uber critical. And probably one of the most important tips I could give anybody is watch. If you go out there, if you go out there tonight and you say, I'm going to, all right, tonight I'm going to work on really making sure my housing is centered. Watch your groups magically tighten instantly. Um, if, yeah, not, if, if not that top of mind for you, it is going to be something that's going to be magic. Yeah, and there's yeah right, and 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 you can see you can see how easy that is to vary too. Now, when you're at full draw, if you um, simply change your anchor position at all, right? You move move your nose around the string, move your uh, hand where it's anchored against your face. You know, all those little variations, you're going to see sort of that alignment change and then with your bow hand any torque that you apply uh you know to the grip or anything that you do differently from shot to shot it's really easy to to make a very minor change because when you're talking about looking through your peep sight at full draw and aligning it with your with your pin guard it doesn't take but you know a millimeter or less of movement to see part of that pin guard disappear behind the peep or maybe a little air open up on the other side you know it's slight variations can have a fairly significant impact especially at those longer ranges a hundred percent and i uh and just having the right size peep i can't stress that enough so that it matches your uh, pin guard um and the other thing about about this and we kind of jumped off topic here a little bit but i think it's important to note that in different lighting um what happens is your peep's going to appear like it's bigger or smaller and in that different light so like if you're in the deep timber your peep is going to seem like it's a little bit different size than if you're out in, the, in an open field shooting your bow and so that's kind of one of those rings for that mrt reasons for the mrt technologies we wanted to give people always the ability to have a nice bright ring to center on but no matter what the lighting um i i found out through competition how much that centering mattered um, and how easy it was to get out of alignment, like like all the stuff you're just talking about. Um, and so I always wanted to, so I really focused on always having my my, uh, my pin guard centered in my peep. But then I found out, man, in the different lighting, sometimes it'd disappear. I wouldn't be able to see my ring my ring anymore. Or vice versa, I'd have air around the outside of my ring. And at that point, I'm like, man, this stinks. And so that's kind of how that whole product got born. Um, and like I said, because it's something so critical for shooting long distances, um, it just made sense to bring that accuracy to, for, you know, for everyone. Um, 
it's just really uh, uh, an important factor. And that's something, you know, and you'll hear people say this all the time um, that, you know, your eye will naturally center everything. Well, my eye does. (laughs) I I don't know about yours, but, you know, my brother's eye doesn't, neither does my dad's. And so what happens is for us, a lot of times you might line up, you get your alignment set. And then as you aim, you know, you start to fade, you start to fade. So if you, and so it's one of those things that um, if, you know, if you're lucky enough to maybe have that ability, that's great. But from, from my experience with my friends and family, man, our eyes don't naturally line it up. We have to consciously line that up. Well, let's go down this peep sight rabbit trail a little bit further, because I think this is a great topic. And uh, I have questions, you know, for you more, and, and I think that our listeners will find this very interesting too. You know, when you talk about peep size, especially when you get into the target realm, and what you mentioned uh-huh. that you shot professionally for a decade, most of the time your target archers will shoot some some relatively small aperture sizes when it comes to their peeps. And on the other end of the spectrum, you'll have people like me where, you know, for a long time, I shot a really big peep sight, like like the 516s, the big the big meta peeps from G5. Right. And people would say, why do you want to shoot such a big peep sight? It really doesn't give you a lot of precision when you're aiming. And I would always say, well, I'm not that worried about super precision. I'm worried about shooting at stuff, you know, at dawn and dusk. And I want to let as much light through as I can. Now, in more recent years, I've kind of downsized a little bit, but I still generally will shoot like a quarter inch or, you know, like a five eighths uh, peep, and which is pretty big. And should I, my question to you though is, should I shoot, should I choose a peep size that's based on whatever size is the right alignment to center my, my sight housing? Or should I shoot a peep size based on, uh, you know, maximum precision? Or should I shoot a peep size based on how well I can see through it in low light? Or does your answer depend on my application? Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, add a little. You asked a little bit of a loaded question. Um, I, all of us here at Spot Hall, we always choose to try one that matches our housing because we we um, tend to, you know, like to practice and shoot the the longer distances and the the the, the more mismatched your peep size is to your housing, that's it's going to your groups are going to open up quicker because you're not going to be able to hold that consistency. Um, however, if I was if I was only shooting out to maybe 25, 30 yards, I shoot out of a tree stand and I'm not shooting that far. I might choose to have a little bit bigger peep so that I could have that, that little extra time of the day, you know, a little at dawn and dusk that you might, it might buy you another 10 minutes, um, you know, of, of shoot time, because as your peep shrinks down, it gets darker and darker and darker. And as you talked about with the professional archers, they'll shoot a small housing. They'll shoot a very small peep, but, they're not trying to shoot tournaments at dusk and dawn. They're shooting during, you know, prime, you know, good lighting. So having that smaller piece, a little darker picture is not a big deal for them. However, um, if you're going to shoot past 30 yards, you are, your peep size to your housing becomes much more critical. And you're actually having basically settling for bigger groups for that last little bit of daylight, daylight and dawn 
hunting. And so if I could say that you could tighten your groups by 50% by mashing that up, or it could have a little bit longer shooting hours, what would you choose? My answer is I'd rather have the tighter groups because there's only a few times where I've shot in that last, you know, that last, you know, you're pushing the, the limits a little bit. I'd rather have 99% of my hunt time be as accurate as I can be. But again, I do a lot more spot and stalking and, and I don't hunt out of a tree stand where we're at. So um, that is, it is a little situational, but I will tell you that your groups will instantly tighten up if you start paying attention to that centering and you get your peep and your ping guard matched up. You might gain as much as 20 yards of shooting distance that you could, couldn't shoot before. Yeah, I was just starting to say one way that people can experiment with that uh, pretty easily is there are peep sight options that have um, removable apertures. So, uh, for instance, I use one from Specialty Archery on one of my bows. I believe you guys make one as well, though. And so you can install we this. Actually, Go ahead. I was going to say, we actually um, are selling the Specialty Archery ones because um, we really believe that being able to adjust your, your apertures is huge. I would go, I'll tell you how much this matters from a competition standpoint. I would carry up uh, in my quiver different size apertures, and depending on what the day's outlook was, whether I was shooting in the open, shooting in the timber, whether I was shooting on a bright sunny day or an overcast day, I would change out my P-side aperture the morning of for the competition. That's how much, you know, you, you see the little... I guess, OCD a little bit, but it was worth points. And so um, being able to change those out and get it matched, you guys can understand a little bit. If I'm doing that just for a tournament, you can understand how important, you know, we here at Spahog believe it is. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, for folks who might not be familiar with what we're talking about, um, Specialty Archery makes a peep sight that you, you know, put in your string, just like any other peep sight. And with with no aperture installed in it, it's fairly big. I don't recall off the top of my head. You might know, Cabe, uh, what the size of the opening is there uh, with nothing in there. But it's basically on the upper you know, end of, of your peep sizes. And then there's some threading inside of that. So you can then take and install any number of different apertures in there to take yourself all the way from that biggest opening possible down to literally just a little pinhole uh, for a really, really small aperture. And then on top of the the aperture sizes, there's some some sunshades and some different uh, magnifiers and verifiers and things like that to help out people who have, you know, some eyesight difficulties and that sort of thing. So a lot of versatility with a system like that. And uh, certainly for somebody that wants to experiment with different peep sizes, that's a way to do it really easily without having to put your bow in a press every 20 minutes and put a different peep sight into the string. You know what I mean? hundred percent. And, um, you know, kind of going full circle with another easy way is with those MRT rings that are screw on. That's another easy way to play with some different sizes and kind of see if it, you know, if it's going to help you. 
Yep. So anyway, very interesting discussion about peep sites. Uh, not not a topic that probably people spend 15 minutes talking about every day. But to your point, it's important. And it, it, the relationship between your peep and your site is, is critical. It's just like, uh, you know, your rear site and your front site. On, on a gun, like you said. So back to our back to our larger discussion on long distance shooting. Another another way to potentially increase the the max range that you can get out of your setup that you mentioned in the column is instead of knocking your arrow, um, assuming you're shooting a three vein configuration, which of course is still by far the most common. Uh, people are getting more into experimenting with other other configurations but i think probably 90 plus percent of archers are still doing the the old three vein deal and if you knock your arrow with your cock vein down instead of up assuming that you shoot a drop away rest or an or a or a prong rest something that's not going to cause clearance issues with your rest that's going to sort of increase your clearance up top by the height of the vein, and that will also give you a little bit uh, extra distance. Yeah, that can be fairly significant, especially if you're shooting like a high-profile vein, like a blazer or something like that. Um, it can definitely uh, give you quite a bit of clearance um, by by having that, you know, the cock vein down. Um, the other thing is, too, is... Um, Sometimes just going to a lower profile vein. Maybe uh, you got a rest that you can't shoot cock vein down. Going to a lower profile rest, or I mean vein, um, and then putting a, some good helical on it, you can still have very, very accurate system, even though you've gone to a lower, lower profile vein. Well, let's go down the vein rabbit trail for a minute too, since we're since we're here, since we found ourselves along the highway here, and we've come to the the vein and fletching exit. What? Uh, just talk to me about your hunting setup these days, uh, Cape. What what kind of uh, veins are you using? What configuration are you using? And and has that changed? You know, compared to what you maybe were doing a few years back, and if so, why? I'm using three veins. I'm using flex fletch veins. Um, there's a lot of very similar stuff, um, vein, very similar profile veins. I personally like the flex fletch. They seem to hold up pretty good. Um, but the biggest key is having a good helical on your veins. Um, you can get away with shooting a little, little lower profile veins if a good, with a good helical. And what a helical is, instead of having your veins straight on your arrow, they slightly curve around the arrow. And... Uh, all of us have, I've bounced around, I've used blazer type veins, I've used low, quiet profile veins, I've used, you know, the, this kind of your more standard, um, and I kind of keep coming back to a good helical on a, a four inch flex flesh vein. It just seems to overall be, um, just the most forgiving, uh, with, uh, the blazers, I thought the blazers did a fairly comparable job. But the higher profile in the wind and with the fletching clearance and all that, um, I just felt like they were very comparable to a good flex fletch with a, a nice helical. And so, and I must not be the only one because my dad, my brother, um, a lot of the guys that work here, they've all kind of stay with that too. Uh, they, they like those flex fletch with the helical. They just seem to be pretty forgiving. Somewhere around the four inch range is what we all use. And, um, so you're using long, low-profile veins, is that right? 
Yeah, I would. They're not. I wouldn't consider them really low profile. Um, I call them kind of middle of the road because they do make some lower profile hunting veins. They're supposed to be quieter, which don't go down that route. I've been there. I mean, even with the helical, we I tried them one year and I felt like they didn't create enough drag to help um, help control help the arrow stabilize. Yeah, and but so um, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, but four inches long. I mean, that's if you look at. You know, like you say, the blazer or something comparable, which yeah. there, are, there are a number of other veins that have very similar sort of design. That's about two and a quarter inches in length, and that's kind of industry standard. Now, four inches, good grief. You know, that's like, you know, you get up five inches, you're like old school now, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, you might you might consider our setups kind of old school um, because they do, they, you know, the blazers came along. They do a pretty good job, um, but I just felt like I wasn't quite getting the same forgiveness as I was with my with my helical. Um, but it was close. It's close. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I think the the high profile is the most common and most popular way. And I think they do a pretty good job. The issue that I come across is out here in Oregon. Up till I think just this last year, we've it's been illegal to shoot expandables. So we've had to shoot um, thick blade broadheads. And in doing that, man, those things really show, you know, some, you know, what's forgiving and what's not forgiving. And so it really exacerbated um, the difference between, you know, a, a three vein um, blazer and a three vein, you know, arrow with like a flex flash with a good helical. And I could shoot better with the, with the helical. Now, if, if I was shooting expandables on both those arrows, I'm not so sure that I could probably tell a big difference. And so I guess it's kind of one of those things that um, I think they're comparable enough that I don't think that you can probably go too wrong. I would, however, suggest, you know, anytime you get a little helical on either of those fletches, it is going to take and add to some forgiveness. It's going to help that arrow stabilize out of the bow that much quicker. And that's ideally what we want because, you know, if we don't get a perfect shot, we don't want that being multiplied downrange. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's not that hard to fletch your own arrows and even to do it with a helical. Um, I don't I don't know what you use, um, but I have uh, like for a helical, I have a boning uh, like tower jig that does a helical and you can get that uh, with different you know, lengths of openings. So, you know, some of them, are, you know, you can't get too long with the veins, but other ones they have, you could easily do those four inch veins, uh, you know, that you have. So that's one tool. Um, I've done the Arizona Easy Fletch. They have uh, helical models. Uh, what do you use for your for your veins? I actually really like the the first one that you talked about. Uh, we've been at, uh, one of the guys here has one. That's, I think it's a pretty slick setup. But I actually have used. I'm kind of old school. They didn't have that when I started fletching. So I bought a Bissenberger jig with a helical fletch on it. And because I'm, I guess because I'm a kind of cheap, I still use that. But if I was going to get a new one, I'd get that the one that you were just talking about. The what? What was the first one you said? The is it a? It's the boning helix tower. Boning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, the bits are, and those are pretty slick. Bits and burgers are probably, you know, still industry standard. I think the precision with those things is probably unmatched. The downside for me being lazy, laziness, um, 
you know, dictates a lot of what I do in archery. And I guess it's okay for me to admit that because I'm not, I don't shoot targets for a living. Um, you know, I'm a bow hunter first and foremost. And, you know, when I say laser, I'm not sloppy, but I definitely don't mind a shortcut if it's doable. And I like the fact that with a lot of these newer jigs, you can do three veins at once as opposed to just doing one vein at a time. And so it cuts the, it cuts the uh, amount of time it takes to fletch a dozen arrows into a third, you know? Oh, 100%. I, I, that's one of the things that I liked about it, too, is I thought, man, it's going to be way quicker. But I, I don't think you have to apologize about being lazy because I, I know that all – I mean, that's how, that's how you, can, you can justify doing the work. Is it, is it worth the work or not? And so a lot – I mean, we're all lazy butts over, over here. We want to make it easy as possible to get the most out of your equipment. And so, you know, if it's super hard, people aren't going to do it. And so I think it's important to say, hey – look, you know, this is an easy way to do this. People appreciate that. Well, and I'm going to say one other thing on fletching before we move on. But, uh, and I always put a plug for this product in and some people would probably sooner die than do this but especially if you're shooting mechanical broadheads I not only admit but advocate especially in a pinch there is a product that boning offers and NAP offers called quick fletch so you can get these with a variety of different NAP veins or the boning blazer veins and it's a shrink tube that has the veins already attached to it and you literally slide these things over the back of the arrow dunk it into a pot of boiling water and the the tube just literally sucks onto your arrow and it's done and you can fletch a dozen arrows in like two minutes with this and i've i gotta tell you cabe like yes it is the ultimate like cheap uh lazy man's out but i've hunted and killed multiple animals with quick fletch over the years and you can throw a pack of like quick fletches into your pack and carry that with you in the field if you're in the back country and you need to like repair some things all you need to do is your camp stove and you can put that right on so again you know is it is it the most customized fletching absolutely not and is it the best choice if you're shooting like a big uh, fixed blade head it might not be but i'll tell you what it's out there and uh it, it, they do work. That's cool. I, I haven't actually had an opportunity to play with those, but I have seen them. They look cool. Yeah, they are. They are. Like you said, you probably have too much self-respect to actually shoot those, but um, you know, it, it, it is it is a really quick and easy way to do up do up a dozen arrows. So so from veins, let's move over to the other end of the um, arrow because we did touch on broadheads uh obviously being a an eastern guy a whitetail guy i'm a big mechanical broadhead advocate i've found that you know whether it's it's a rage uh some of the expandables that g5 has some of the expandables that sever has some of the expandables that nap has i've just had a lot of good luck over the years with the big wide you know like inch and three quarter to two inch or even more just really really eats up whitetails and they fly super well too but on the other end i definitely prefer fixed blade when i go elk hunting one of the reasons and believe it or not it's not because i don't think a mechanical head is effective on a big animal like an elk for me it has a lot more to do with stalking um 
when you're stalking elk and you're moving around a lot or mule deer or antelope or whatever it is, you know, a lot of times you'll end up having one of your blades pop open on those mechanical heads. And if you've been, I've been in situations where I now need to shoot and you look at your arrow and one of your blades is hanging open and you know that your arrow isn't going to fly accurately. And so now you're trying to figure out what to do right in that moment when you ought to be at full draw aiming. Um, so I found that by using a fixed blade head out west, not only do I avoid having to worry about anything happening to the broadhead, but I know that I'm going to get, you know, just absolutely flawless performance when that thing hits. You know, it's going to work the way sure. that it's supposed to. So what's your what's your philosophy on broadheads? Um, it's, it's The whole world of expandables is just opening up for us. Um, I haven't got a lot of chance to, to, to play with them. Uh, like I said, last year, the first year ever that they were allowed to be used in Oregon. And so we all shot fixed blades for years and spent a lot of time. Um, you know, anytime you screw on a fixed blade broadhead, it makes your groups open up and you have to um, really tweak your, your arrows and your broadheads and just a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of extra attention needed to be able to, a lot of it, extra attention has to be spent on your arrows. Um, and so it's just kind of, uh, and like, like I mentioned a minute ago, we're kind of lazy. So I'm, I'm excited about the opportunity to shoot some of these expandables. Um, but we're really have been fixed blade guys since we started hunting. And so we spent a lot of time tweaking broadheads on arrows, twisting knocks, arrows, trying to get it, you know, so that you have a quiver full of arrows that hit in the same place. Because for people that haven't shot fixed blades, that's exactly what you end up with is you end up with each arrow having its own personality. You know, this, we've even gone so far to name our arrows on our, you know, this one's lefty because it hits a little left, you know, this one's, you know, and we've gone that far to like right on the veins where they're hitting because we weren't able to get them to ever get them dialed in like we'd like. And so, um, like I said, the, the expandable thing is definitely something that is a, a new chapter being opened for all of us. So I'm sure you've played with lots of different fixed blade broadheads over the years, but is there a... Uh, a model or two in particular that you've just kind of found yourself gravitating back to uh, generally? I would love to tell you yes. Um, I'd love to tell you, hey, this one hits like your field points. Hey, this one's the most accurate. Um, this one leaves, you know, I'd love to tell you every single one of us here shoots a different broadhead. And all, we've tried all of them. I, well, it feels like all of them. We haven't tried all of them. It feels like we've tried all of them. And what we have found is that um, the four blades tend to be a lot, a lot more squirrely. You got to spend a lot more time to get them to hit good. Agreed. Um, Agreed. The, the, two, the two blades um, usually fly pretty good, um, but we we almost all shoot three blade uh, fixed blade broadheads. Um, and what we've also found is that the larger cutting diameter you go, um, that affects your 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 accuracy and your distance of how far you can shoot. But I've also found that you go too small. Yeah. You can shoot out to maybe you shoot out far with them, but when you hit an animal, they don't leave, sometimes leave the best blood trails. And so we're trying to find that happy meeting between um, the bigger, the cutting diameter, the better blood trail, but the shorter it shortens your effective distance. The smaller, the uh, cutting diameter, the longer you can shoot, but it, you know, you may not get a good blood trail. Um, and so one year I got recommended, Hey, you can use these. I'm not going to name names, but you need to use these, these, uh, 
the three blade. It's awesome. They shoot great. I'm shooting great. Clear out to 80 yards. And I went, I went and put them on my arrows. I'm like, man, he's right. These are shooting great. And anyways, I lost. I was shooting those, those, and I lost. Ended up losing two animals, and I said, "Man, I just didn't get a good blood trail. I'm not going to shoot these anymore." And so, and I talked to him after the season. And he had almost the same experience, and so I went back out to a little bit bigger cutting diameter, just because I. It, it's important to me. Um, again, at the end of the day, you want to be able to harvest what you're aiming at. If I got to settle for ten yes less yards of my effective distance or twenty less yards, I'll do it to ensure that I am able to recover what I'm, what I'm hunting. So it's very important to me. So you kind of want to have, you know, a, a decent cutting damper. Don't get too small. Um, and then the other thing is, is the three blade over all the ones we've tested seem to be um, the one that we've all gravitated to. And then after you check those two boxes, um, it's kind of becomes a stylistic thing. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's your own, you know, I like these broadheads. Maybe you like the way they look. Maybe you like the way that you can, uh, you know, um, maybe you like the way that they, you know, that the point is on so they can do more bone crushing. Or maybe you want to cut on contact. You know, that's some of that stuff's personal preference. Um, one other thing to check the boxes for me is I like to be able to resharpen my broadheads or, or replace blades. Um, so on a fixed blade broadhead, um, I want to be able to shoot that, that broadhead and either be able to touch up the blades and resharpen them, or I don't want to ever unscrew the broadhead because sometimes that can mess with your alignment and how they spin. I want to be able to unscrew the tip and take the blades out and replace them with new blades. It's very important to me when I go into the woods that, one, I have the confidence in my arrow because I've shot this arrow with this broadhead 50, 60, 70 times, and, two, that it's sharp enough to leave a good blood trail and do the job. And if you take in, if you if you're going to use a fixed blade broadhead, those two are an absolute must for me. That either I either they're easy to resharpen right on the arrow, or B I can replace the blades right out of the tip of the broadhead. Yeah, you touched on a lot of good stuff there. And you know, as somebody who shoots far more mechanical heads than fixed blades, uh, I'll just add a few thoughts to some of the things that you said. You know, for me. Um, with mechanical heads, particularly rages, because I've just shot a lot of rages over the years. You know, a lot is talked about in terms of practicing with your broadheads, and I just think that is so much more important when you're shooting fixed blade heads. And what I mean by that is, you know, rage, uh, you know, always had these practice heads that you could shoot with. And I just always found that whether I use the practice heads or the actual heads, they would just fly pretty much right there with my field points all the time. And it's gotten to the point anymore where I don't have a problem admitting this, you know, publicly. When if, if you hand me a pack of Rage and it's time to go hunting and I'm completely dialed in with my field points, I'll screw those babies on and just go hunt. Now, will I do that with a fixed plate head? Absolutely not because – even if you find a head that flies pretty close to your field points, what you'll find, and you touched on this, is that you know you may take three arrows out of your quiver and put those broadheads on those three arrows. And two of those arrows fly pretty close to your field point. And then that third arrow is like several inches off. Now, you may be able to eliminate that by just adjusting the knock 
orientation, you may be able to eliminate that by screwing that broadhead into a different arrow. You may be able to eliminate that by just switching the broadheads around and finding the right combination that works. But the point is, right, sometimes I find this, and I'm sure you do too, you may have a dozen arrows that all fly just fine with field points, but when it comes to picking out the actual arrows that you're going to use when you go hunting, you, you find out that out of that dozen, maybe you only have five or six or seven of those arrows that actually really want to fly pretty well with those broadheads that you want to use. So then you, you end up marrying a particular broadhead to a particular arrow and you start labeling heads and arrows together as like match sets, which honestly is something that I never do with the mechanicals. But with the, with the, the, the fixed blades, you know, it, it is a little bit, I would say a lot bit more critical, you know, to have that kind of experience so that when you're when you're actually getting your shot in the field, you know, you want to be confident that, you know, like this arrow and this broadhead are like proven to perform together. Yeah, I one of the things is, is and I and I've got buddies and um, I may have be even guilty of this many years ago, but um, as I've gotten to be a better shot, I like to be able to shoot the broadhead and the arrow that I'm going to shoot at my game. You know, I, when I'm hunting, I, the confidence I have in my equipment goes up exponentially knowing that I practice, you know, I, you know, a lot of guys will have a practice broadhead and a practice arrow, but to me, I get really confident with that. But then I, you know, you kind of have just a little bit, I hope these other arrows fly like that one does, you know? And so what I like to do is I will take and put on my, you know, once I find that marriage and I, and I'll go through and rate my arrows, this is my best arrow all the way to my worst arrow. And I shoot those top two or three arrows relentlessly, knowing that I'm either going to sharpen that broadhead or I'm going to replace the blade. And then when I step into the woods or get into my stand or into my blind, I know, I know there's no doubt in my mind that that arrow is not going to hit exactly. I've shot it hundreds of times. And yeah, so hope, that hope. type of confidence once I figured that out, that type of confidence in your equipment is priceless. Yeah, hope hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a plan, right? <laughs> especially, especially when you're like, you know, shooting at a, a living, breathing target. So you, you got to right. be better than that. And um, hey, you'll be happy to know, by the way, you talk about resharpening those broadheads. We did a test at Peterson's bow hunting a few years back now. And we actually looked at that and we contracted out with a with a, a cutlery industry association that has a sharpness testing machine. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you shoot that broadhead, like 50, 100 times into a foam target, you know that it dulls that broadhead very, very little cape. So, I mean, if it makes you feel oh, better, if it makes you feel more confident, you know, kind of putting a fresh edge on those blades by all means keep doing it but just so you know like that was something that people are always a little bit paranoid about you know you take your broadhead out and you shoot it 10 or 15 times into a block target and you're like oh it's it's all dulled up no it really isn't man they they really do hold their edge that foam isn't that hard on them very interesting I'll have to dig that up. I'll send you a PDF of that article because we have hard data yeah. that that shows like it just doesn't. It just doesn't. Like if you're if you know your broadheads are sharp and like you go to camp or something for for your next big hunt mm -hmm. and you're like 
you know, you're taking a dozen shots, you know, the day before the hunt on the range there at camp, you don't have to worry about resharpening those broadheads, you know, it, uh, anyway, just, just one of those questions that we all had that we wanted an answer to, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, yeah. I think the biggest issue is, and I think you, we're both on the same page, is to shoot those arrows that you're going to plan on shooting at your animal. And, yeah. you know, you know, whether, whether, you know, I, I had a buddy that took and, uh, you know, the night before the hunt, he was, he was practicing with that arrow and he unscrews and puts on a different broadhead and he shoots it one time and misses a spot by six or seven inches. And I go, you're going to call that good? And he said, he goes, well, I don't want to shoot anymore. I don't want to dull the blade. You know, and I'm sitting there going, well, you're going to maybe miss your, miss your animal or wound an animal. I go, you got to make sure that that's, you know, so he was scared to shoot. And I think a lot of people are, they're scared to shoot their broadheads until so they'll replace, you know, the head or they'll not shoot their starter arrows, assuming they're going to fly like field points. And so just one of those things, you know, get confident in those top two or three arrows just so that, you know, you, you know, and then whether whether you shot enough that you got to do something about the blades, you know, that's, that's kind of a personal, uh, personal preference or not. But I mean, I just can't encourage people enough to make sure that they, they practice and shoot, shoot with those arrows. Absolutely. And do it at long, long range, as long as you can. So let's bring this full circle and wrap up. Um, a lot of good information in today's episode. Last two, two things that you mentioned, this is to really, really kind of, this is when you're at the end of your rope, folks, in terms of how far you can shoot and you can't move your sight anymore. It's the old top of the bubble level and bottom of yeah. the sight housing, right? Those are like sort of not super precise either for, for when you're talking about maybe being at 110 or 120 yards, but hey, it's better than, it's better than just, air right so um, for sure those are a couple more references you can always use when you really want to reach out and touch some some foam you know especially and when you're shooting a multi-pin site at long distances um we get this question all the time you know well which pin should be my floater which is a pin that once they start rolling the site down which pin should i use now our recommendation is always use your bottom you know the pin that's your bottom pin, which is that's the one that's closest to the bottom of the housing, that's going to give you the most distance. And so, you know, if you're shooting a three pin and you're rolling it down, make sure that you use that bottom pin as your floater pin. Because if you use the top, you're going to run out of, you know, uh, I guess distance a lot quicker. Um, and if, if your bottom pin isn't enough, get like you just mentioned, you can always use the top of your bubble um, or maybe even the bottom of your housing. However, like you also pointed out, that's, that's when you're desperate. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend always trying to use that bottom pin uh, when, you, when you're designating uh, your, kind of your floater pin on a multi-pin site. I definitely, uh, you'll get the most out of your equipment that way. Well, listen, man, I think that there is a lot of, uh, a lot of things that we can all use there. And for those who are listening, you know, if you haven't already started you know, seriously practicing. It is past time to get those bows off the shelf, dust those babies off, start hitting the range, stretch yourself out this summer. And as you do, if you're going to be experimenting with anything regarding your arrows, 
your veins, your broadheads. Incorporate those things into your long range shooting sessions because any impact of those variables, again, other things, peep size, um, the size of your pin housing, all that, as you increase range, that's gonna give you, that's gonna tell the tale more dramatically than shooting just at 20 and 30 yards. So if you really wanna be dialed in, if you really wanna be as confident as you possibly can be this fall, when you finally get that opportunity on an animal, you know, listen to all the things that Cabe talked about today, put that into practice, and you're gonna head into the season feeling better about yourself as a shooter than you ever have before. Agree? Oh, 100%. Uh, I, I think that there is uh, a lot of little tricks and tips. And like I said, one of my favorite things to really do is to do the long distance shooting um, is, you know, paying attention to some of these little details because you can gain distance just by being detail oriented. Well, and, you know, it's funny because we really dove right in today and, and we didn't do any shameless self-promotion for spot hog uh so i guess now at the very end i ought to at least throw out if, if you want to shoot long range um one of my favorites and uh, the site that i used last year on my montana elk hunt and uh you know planning to use more this year uh on some hunts is the fast eddie and and really really good uh, adjustable movable pin I, I shoot the five pin configuration i like to have those uh, fixed pins for 20 through 60 and then of course as you mentioned that 60 yard pin becomes my slider and when I set that up I just I just uh, when I when that site is zeroed I, I put that tape the, the proper sight tape on there so that the 60 yard mark is lined up with the indicator at the zero position and then I simply go from there and anything beyond 60 I just dial to the exact yardage and I've got that out to 100 yards. So uh, that's an option that I really enjoy and, and setting it up that way. But you guys offer a lot of versatility. You can get it as a single pin, a double pin, or anything up to, I don't know if it stops at five or maybe even goes to seven, but uh, lots and lots of options available for pretty much any style of shooting that a that an archer has. Yeah. we. Uh... We, we actually go out to seven pin. Um, the fast Eddie is, is probably our most popular. Well, not probably it is our most popular site. Um, it's like you said, it's very versatile and kind of can do it all. Um, we also have, uh, a Tommy hog and a hog father, which, um, also are some other movables that we offer that, uh, have, have, uh, a little more, a uh, micro adjustability to them. Um, but you know, we should have something that kind of fits, fits whatever need it is you have. We, at least we try to. I would say that you guys do, and you make great stuff. So, guys, if you need a site, they make releases. They make lots of stuff, but bulletproof stuff, really well-designed, really well-engineered. Um, it'll perform for you, not just in the backyard, but out in the field. Check them out, uh, spothog.com. And, uh, Cabe, I just can't thank you enough, man. Really, really appreciated your time today. Appreciate your ongoing contributions to the magazine, and I wish you the very best of success out in the field this fall. I hope you kill a couple big, big critters out there. 
Well, thanks for having me, Christian. It was actually a, it was a real pleasure talking with you, and uh, it was awesome to get on here and just talk some some archery at a time when you know not a lot of people are starting to shoot yet. But I'm, you know, we're all starting to get that in. It's, it's, it's coming. It's going to be there soon before we know it. Indeed. So get out there and scratch the edge, folks. Take care, Kate. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.